Hi, I'm Joshua Hess, and this is the Odd Sign Looking In, where I talk about all things autism. This episode, I'd like to continue to talk about the history of autism, particularly the autism renaissance, the period that immediately followed the dark ages of autism. I will explain what defines this period and give examples from my life during this time. Like the actual Renaissance, the Autism Renaissance was a bit of a disappointment. Spanning from about 1990 with the return of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, under its new name, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, up until only a few years ago with the Autism Collaboration Accountability Research Education and Support Act of 2014, also known as the Autism Cares Act. This period includes the introduction of legislation such as No Child Left Behind and saw the segregation of autistic children into special ed classes, a renewed interest in the education of children's disabilities, and the destigmatization of autism children and the inevitable autism craze, where parents pressed their child's psychiatrists for the now trendy autism spectrum diagnosis. Continuing the trend of ineffective government programs, IDEA's lofty goals of providing a curriculum designed specifically for the child as opposed to the child's diagnosis fell short. The amount of academic information intended to serve as guidelines for the development of care routines for various conditions flooded the already overburdened caregivers and educators as the number of children with special needs skyrocketed. It quickly became apparent that meeting the obligations set forth by IDEA were financially unreachable for most school districts. Further complicating the matter is the act's lack of teeth. Failure to comply resulted in the withholding of some federal funding and trivial fines. In the end, neglecting children with specific needs not only became intentional, it was a calculated financial decision. For most school districts, it was more cost-effective to abandon children than it was to help them. This was the case for most of my education. I was not even aware that there were programs such as those intended by IDEA until my junior year of high school when I was transferred to a new school and they attempted to place me in a program. My father refused to allow the school to give me a custom curriculum and punished me when I cooperated. By my senior year, my father had kicked me out and I was able to customize my program to finally have a real chance for an education. No Child Left Behind forced standardized testing on overburdened schools, causing most schools to significantly cut funding and all but abandon any meaningful art and music programs in favor of improving tested curriculums. These improvements came in the form of teaching to the test where students were no longer taught the subject matter, but instead taught to beat the test. Not only did this do little for preparing students for higher education, it created a student body geared towards manipulating the system. Because the standardized test scores for additional students and special needs students were measured independently of one another, students that jeopardize a school's test scores were labeled as special needs and pushed into half-baked specialized programs where they would not negatively impact standardized test scores while artificially improving the standardized test scores of special education programs. 
Over the next two decades, the number of students that schools claimed were autistic went from 1 in 166 to 1 in 54, more than tripling the number of autistic students. A statistical shift that is highly suspicious given the lack of meaningful improvements in diagnostic methods and no reason to believe that the rate of births of autistic individuals had increased during this time. With the dramatic increase in the prevalence of autism in schools came a parent-driven effort for the acceptance and normalization of autism in society. While this may seem to be to the benefit of autistic individuals, this movement actually resulted in numerous negative consequences. Much like with the ADHD and bipolar spectrum disorder fads of the 1990s, parents pushed for their children to receive the now-coveted autism spectrum diagnosis. Few of these diagnoses were offered up by anyone even remotely qualified to make them. Instead of a trained professional, parents were labeling their children on the word of teachers, school staff, family and friends, and their own deeply flawed standards hobbled together from the alarming, unreliable information on the internet. Thus armed, parents would insist that their child be placed in custom programs and receive one-on-one -on -one care. Some parents would even go so far as to take their perfectly healthy child out of school entirely so that they could be homeschooled. This behavior rippled out, creating a new wave of false information about the nature of autism. The autism that was now in the public view was no longer real autism. Instead, it was a collection of children treated for a condition that they did not have by parents who relied on an internet filled with child-rearing and education techniques developed by other parents that raised children that weren't even autistic to begin with. The real crime was that these healthy children would serve as evidence of the success of these techniques, legitimizing them and serving to discredit actual beneficial programs in place to aid children in need. These parents' desperation also created a fertile environment for disinformation regarding cures. During this time, the number of remedies for autism, as well as the lethality of these treatments, increased exponentially. One such cure that was employed by hundreds was the force-feeding of bleach. The cure was so readily available and mainstream that eBay and Amazon sold bleach pills as cures for autism until being forced to remove them. The belief in these pills as an effective method for curing autism is so great in some individuals that complete strangers have approached me in public and given them to me. Refusal of these gifts has resulted in typical bigoted responses such as hateful glares paired with the weaponized phrase, I will pray for you, or similar hate speech. Thankfully, there are signs that the federal government is beginning to get a clear picture of the state of autism. The Combating Autism Act of 2006 at least seems to recognize the potential for misdiagnosis, a need for higher standards of screening, and the elimination of the vast amounts of disinformation. Unfortunately, the Act and its successor, the Autism Cares Act, is so broad and sweeping that its use could just as easily be turned into a witch hunt. The provisions that allow for the tracking and treating of individuals with autism throughout their life while offering no legal defense against parents poisoning their children in the pursuit of a cure or any clarification of individuals with autism as protected group serves to remind me that the government still views individuals with autism as creatures of limited potential and second-class citizens.
Thank you for listening to The Outside Looking In. Follow me on Facebook at The Outside Looking In, where you can ask questions, hear about upcoming podcasts, and learn about autism groups and events near you.